Welcome to another episode of Leveling Up with Brigham Black. I'm so excited to have my new friend Jeremy Lott talk about how we can turn the, the lead in our business into gold and really dive into some business alchemy. I love the way he brought that up. So excited to dive in and learn a little bit more about him. So Jeremy, tell me a little bit about your background, your origin story, if you will. How did you become an entrepreneur? And, and let us get to know you. Yeah, you bet. I went to college on a wrestling scholarship at BYU. And I ended up majoring in horticulture. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I loved it. I, I, I finished up my degree and I ended up starting up a landscape design build company. Mm. And I ran that for about 15 years. And we did a lot of really awesome things. We uh, created a lot of great residential landscapes for people and did a lot of really fun stuff. And all I really ever wanted to do was be able to make these awesome things and be creative and be able to support my family with it. Yeah. I never really understood my money while I was running that company. And I always had problems with cash flow. And I always had problems with having to juggle money to make payroll and, and other things like that. And I solved all my problems by selling three more jobs. Because if you sell three more jobs, you get three more down payments and that covers your cash for a little while longer. So I did that for, for quite a while and had some great success and, and had some difficult times. And that all caught up to me in 2008 mm. when the market kind of turned down and all of my design clients disappeared. Oh, man. And so it was a rough time and I ended up bankrupt. And at the time, I felt like that was kind of the ultimate in business failure, right? Uh, since then, I, I've learned it was a stepping stone and it's helped to launch where I'm at now. But at the time, I felt really down. And a few months later, after that, I went in to get my taxes prepared by my accountant and we were talking in his office across his desk and we were discussing the different things for my tax return for that year and we got on the topic of my bankruptcy mm. and as soon as i brought it up he looked up at me across the desk and he said yeah i've seen that coming for several years now yeah exactly it just kind of floored me i couldn't believe that this, this person that I had been relying on to help me be able to stay healthy financially had seen that problem and had not said anything to me about it. Since then, I've kind of realized and learned that that's more the rule than the exception. And, and I do understand this time of year, people are very much, or accountants are very much head buried in their in their taxes 
and they're going through dozens of profit and losses every day. And he probably had a fleeting thought as my profit and loss crossed his desk and, and just thought, oh yeah, that, that's a problem. And then moved on to the next profit and loss and, and the next tax return. So I, I definitely understand how that works and how that can be overlooked. But at the time, it really hit me hard. And as I thought about it, I started realizing that there was a niche there to be filled, that there were surely other business owners that had problems with their financials and didn't understand their money and could use help to be able to improve their financials and their increase their profit and improve their cash flow and those kind of things. And so I decided to fill that niche. And I started off by going to a company called Universal Accounting. That's uh, it's a local company here in Utah. And since I use them, they've grown and they're a huge, I believe, international company now. And they do fantastic things. But back then, I did a course on bookkeeping, and I did a course on QuickBooks. And they reach about 60 hours of self-study, and I learned how to be a bookkeeper. So from there, I started up a bookkeeping company, and that was in 2009, and that was foundation bookkeeping back then. Mm-hmm. And... I started that up. I got some clients and started looking through financials and helping them and decided that I needed to know more if I was going to actually help people. So I started reading a lot of books, a lot of business books, and I ended up going back to college. I took all of the upper level accounting courses And then I did my two-year professional MBA at University of Utah. Mm -hmm. And that was a fantastic program. Once I finished that, then I got a job as an auditor for four years and kept my bookkeeping practice going on the side the whole time. But the whole time I was learning all these things in class and learning all these things from the books that I was reading, I was recognizing all these problems that I had had as a business owner. And I was learning all the solutions to these problems and figuring out how to solve them. And so after my four years as an auditor, I had put together a bunch of tools to be able to help people improve their cash flow and be able to put more money in their pockets. And that's when Foundation Accounting and Consulting was born. Nice. And I and I jumped in that full time. That was about 2016. And I've been doing the business financial coaching and the bookkeeping ever since then. Cool. So I, I'm curious, since you've been really having multiple experiences in business, not just from the bankruptcy experience, but all the way through your your experiences from college and different university classes, when when you see uh, certain patterns that will turn into a bankruptcy, what are some of those 
those key things? Because most of the people on here are not yeah. going to be bookkeepers. They're not interested in doing that. But right. I would love to yeah. hear what are some of the common patterns that that you know that that if if we see those red flags in our business, we can take action now so we don't it doesn't lead to a bankruptcy. Yeah. So the biggest one is not understanding the cash flow equation. Mm. Profit doesn't really matter to a business owner when you think about it. We focus on it a lot. We talk about it a lot. It, we file taxes and pay taxes on our profit. A lot of lending from banks is, is reliant on profit. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what a business owner really cares about is how much money goes into their pockets. Mm. Right? And so because of that, and because of the focus on profit, nobody really understands the cash flow equation and how you can actually get money in your pocket. And so that would be probably the number one thing is under understanding that. And once they understand that, then there are different things you can do for each step of the cash flow equation to improve cash flow and to increase the money that goes into your pocket. I love it. Now, one of the things that we we talk about in in our business a lot is is the idea of using your money not just once, but like multiple times. Yeah. Paying down lines of credit so that you can have access to that still working for you right. uh, when you're not needing it, but otherwise it it still has you have still have access to that that money when it's needed. But if you're not using it, you just that's helping minimize your interest. Can you tell us a little bit about the the utility of doing that in your business to help your cash flow? Yeah, so I highly recommend a line of credit for every business, especially if you are using invoicing so that you bill somebody now and you get paid later. Right? Mm -hmm. The thing that most businesses don't understand is that if I am invoicing somebody so that I get paid later, I am actually giving that client a loan. Mm. And if you thought about it, if somebody came to you today and asked you for a $20,000 loan, the question I pose is, do you have the cash available to be able to lend $20,000 to somebody? And a lot of business owners out there, especially small business owners, can't say yes to that. But will take on a $20,000 job without any problem and expect to be paid later, right? So it's the same kind of thing. If you're gonna lend that money to somebody, then you either have to have the cash reserves yourself or you have to have some kind of financing set up or you have to have some kind of investment set up. Mm. So the same thing is true when you're using accounts receivable and invoicing for your company. And so you need to be able to have either a large amount of cash in your bank account or financing like a line of credit, or you have to have somebody that's investing, somebody that can put the cash in 
so that you can cover those jobs to be able to be paid later. I, so I love that. that. That's a really useful way to think about bidding out any type of job. Because if you don't have that that cash available or you don't have access to it in a line of credit, then if they don't pay, you essentially gave them money and you have to go through the courts to get uh, get paid. So I know we have one question from uh, from Annie. I don't know if she was able to chat uh, put it in the chat, but we're gonna hold off to to do questions from everybody until right at the very end. So apologize, but I wanted to make sure we get get through some very specific things here because we're gonna be talking about business alchemy. I love this idea and why it's so important for us to be able to take the things that are weighing our business down and turn that into gold. Yeah. So when you talk about business alchemy. Will you give us the the 30,000 foot overview? Why is this topic relevant? Why is this helpful for any business owner? And and let us see the uh, the Cliff Notes version before we go and dive deeper. Go ahead. Yeah. So business alchemy is something that I came up with as an analogy of back in the old times, alchemy was basically the precursor to chemistry and people would do a lot of different things with different chemicals and different mm. compounds and try to make other things right and that's kind of how chemistry was born but the highest achievement of alchemy back in the day was to take some cheaper metal more abundant metal and be able to change it into gold and there's, there's a whole story behind all of that. And it's kind of a fascinating deep dive to, to get into. But basically, it was believed that through different processes, you could take lead and you could turn it into gold, right? Years later, in 1980, in fact, a bunch of chemists and physicists were actually able to take some a cheaper metal and bombard it with ions and change the comp change the element into gold by knocking off protons and so it is actually possible it's scientific and so i love that because with your business you may have a bunch of lead in your company that poor cash flow, not understanding your your money, mm. poor collections, those kind of things that you can take and by implementing different techniques like the tools that I've learned over the years, you can turn that lead into something that becomes profitable and and like gold. And so that process basically focuses on the cash flow equation. Mm. And there are a list of modules that we go through to help be able to take those poor things in your company and be able to turn them into gold. Mm. So really it's focusing on that cash flow equation and being able to understand that and how to improve those different steps of the cash flow equation. So I keep mentioning that. So I'll I'll kind of give the the quick overview of of the cash flow equation and what that is. Excellent. So 
we start off with all the money that comes into your business. And those are, are all the deposits. We're not talking about income. We're not talking about revenue. We're talking about actual cash that comes into your bank account. Right? So that can be through revenue when customers pay you. It can also be through financing, as we talked earlier. And it can also be through investing. And those are the three basic ways that you can receive money from into your bank account. So that's, that's the first part. The second part is all of your direct and indirect costs, which we often call overhead costs. And so your direct and overhead costs, I like to use the analogy of a truck going to a job site. And if you're a, if you're a construction worker and you have a truck that's going to a job site, Think about everything that you put on that truck to go to the job site. You're going to put on there your tools. You're going to put on there your material, your material for the job. You're going to put on there your people to actually do the job. Right. So those are some of the obvious things that go on that truck to the job site. Mm-hmm. Right. And those are all called direct costs. But there are also a bunch of indirect costs that go on that truck to the job site. For a construction company, you're going to have things like general liability, uh, workers' comp. You're going to have fuel. Mm. You're going to have tax, uh, payroll taxes, those kind of things, right? So all of these things also go on that truck to the job site. And that is the second step in the cash flow equation is these costs of goods sold, the direct and indirect costs, Mm -hmm. right? Costs of goods sold is usually a percentage of sales. So for instance, you go through and you do an analysis and you can figure out, okay, 80% of every dollar goes toward costs to do the job, right? So that's that's kind of the first two steps, right? The third step is everything else that does not go on that truck. And those two things are first selling general and admin expenses, and then second, debt payments. So with the selling general and admin expenses and the debt payments, those are not a percentage. Those are more like a hill because you're fixed. You're uh, selling general and admin costs or expenses, sorry. Selling general and admin expenses are going to be more of a fixed amount that you have to cover every year before you can start making a profit. I like that analogy of a hill though because once you get to the top, you're like, yeah, I've paid all those. Now it's... (laughs) profit I'm going to go and hit some profit yeah exactly exactly and so that's that's the fixed costs right that hill analogy and if we go back to the the deposits and the cost of goods sold if we said our cost of goods sold was 80 percent what's left over is that 20 percent and so we know that we're going over that hill at 20% for every dollar. That's mm-hmm. kind of the rate 
that we're using to get over that hill. Okay? So 20 cents of every dollar goes toward covering that fixed expense hill that we have to get over. Right. Okay? So then the, the next step is debt, all your debt payments, which are part of that hill. And we need to figure those in because that is cash, part of your cash flow. And then the last step, the last part is the profit. It's everything that's left over after we've got all of our selling general and admin expenses and all of our costs covered. Mm. So on each one of those steps, there are different things that we can apply, different modules that we can use to be able to improve our last step, which is the profit. Excellent. So for you, uh, I mean, I, I recently read a book called Profit First, yeah. which takes the the idea of, all right, we're going to section this off into percentages. So every dollar yep. before you even touch it, you're like, I know where it's going to tax. I know where it's going to my fixed expense. I know where it's going here. And I take yep. my profit and you keep that consistent. Uh, how does that idea or that concept of profiting first uh, fit into this cash flow model? Yeah, so I love Profit First. I'm a big Mike Michalowicz fan. And the book talks about a mindset shift. And that mindset shift is all focused around the profit equation. So we are taught from an early age, even if you don't go into business, that income minus expenses equals profit. Okay. And there's something called the Pareto Principle, which is the law of procrastination. 80-20 rule for the layman. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so uh, basically what it is, is that your need for a resource will expand to meet the total amount for the resource. So a good example of this was me in high school. I, I got very good grades in high school, but I always put my projects off until the very last minute. Oof, yeah. If I had a week to do the project, it would take me a full week to do the project. And you just expand to meet the, the opportunity. Darn it. Exactly. Exactly. And so that same principle also applies with your money. Mm. So when we look at that profit equation with the revenue minus expenses equals profit, we're putting a big focus on the expenses in that equation. And we're saying that if there's anything left over, that will be profit. Well, we know from this principle that whatever's left over is not going to be, or is going to be close to zero because our expenses are going to expand until we've spent all of the money that comes in, all the revenue. Mm. So what he does is he has this mindset shift where he takes and adjusts the equation so that instead it's revenue minus profit equals expenses. So instead you shift your focus to your profit. You take profit out first and then whatever's left covers your expenses. 
And we know from this same principle that you will be able to cover all of your expenses because you're going to spend whatever you have left. It, I, I love this concept. Like when I read that book, I was like, why have I not been doing this better? It's so good. Um, it reminds me, I, I'm not going to get super spiritual, but this idea of tithing, when you tithe first, your other expenses will shrink to that uh, that 90% because your mind has shifted. Oh, that 100% is not mine. 90% is mine. Yeah. And eventually, yeah. you because of the atrophy of your expenses, you're able to... Uh, you're able to see that, hey, this is not only possible, this actually makes my business more efficient. You start to say, how can I make this work rather than, oh, can this work? Yeah. I think that's one of the powers of doing this idea of uh, profit first and really understanding our cash flow. I I mean, I'm definitely, this is one of the reasons why I like to have, have people like you on my podcast and stuff is because this is the hardest part in business for me is understanding cash flow, understanding the the basic basic numbers. Because I never went to business school like you did, right? I what I did is I, I went through a ton of uh, classes with our with our group Renatus, where I learned a lot of things about real estate and starting to learn those those things. But I was definitely not the professional in accounting or anything, and I love hearing the the wins and some of those little pitfalls that anybody can experience in business. Yeah. So I, I actually want to shift gears just slightly now. Uh-huh. But tell us a little bit about uh about what are some of the the principles that you've noticed in in accounting, not necessarily the, the strategies, but the principles that you've been able to notice to to turn these lead portions of our business, these mm-hmm. these difficulties into gold. So some of the principles yeah, definitely revolve around mindset, mm. different mindsets. And the one we just talked about from Mike Michalowicz and Profit First is that's a huge, that's a huge principle to be able to look at that equation with the profit coming out first really changes the way that you look at your money and the way that you spend your money. Uh, another big principle is how you price your products. Mm. I have an electrician that I've been working with that has had his company for 17 years and he's been bidding the same way for 17 years. And the industry standard is pretty much the way that he's bid. And that is by device. So he charges so much for a switch, so much for a cam light, so much for an outlet and so on and so forth. And in doing that for all of these years, we were able to take those, that information and break it down and figure out that the way that he's been doing things and bidding things for any jobs under $5,000, he's been losing money. Oh, that's, that's so sad. Yeah. And also on any installs, big, he's been losing money, home installs, because he's been doing those per square foot. So the first, that first big principle is changing your mindset on your bidding into going back to that cash flow equation, figuring out first what your costs are 
And then after you figured out what all your costs are, then you do a markup on top of that, right? Mm -hmm. And you start bidding a process rather than devices. I love that's such a good principle. It reminded me uh, a few years ago, I think it was two years ago, I went through this class with my church and we talked about uh, these, I think it was a parable. It wasn't true. It was a parable of these guys that were selling apples. They were putting apples on their truck. I don't know if you ever heard this. They put apples on their truck and they're like, all right, let's go sell these apples. They bought them for a dollar. They they drove their truck to the side of this really busy market and they started selling these apples. Hey, apples only for a dollar. And they started selling these apples for a dollar. And they're like, wow, that went really well today. We sold every single apple. Let's do it again. And they they kept doing this two, three, four different times. And after the end of each day, uh, the business partner's like, man, we're, we're really not making very much money. What What's going on? And he's like, we're selling so well. And the thing was, they didn't understand their costs. And that's a huge challenge. If we don't understand our costs, then eventually like like you said in your very first business those costs will catch up with us and we don't get over that hill and eventually we hit the top and it wasn't enough so we come back and we crash yeah so jeremy what's another principle that we can use in your experience maybe even share a story yeah. uh, that that illustrates how this this cash flow model works how we can we can conceptualize it because not, I literally, I don't think anybody else on here is an accountant. So we won't want to understand all the nitty gritty, but we would love to hear the yeah. basics so we can understand this concept of how to Im improve our cash flow. Yeah. So another big principle is to use your cash, your cash flow to buy more cash flow. Mm, say that again. That was so good. Use your cash flow to buy more cash flow. Exactly. I love yeah. it. So, we have been conditioned throughout the years that debt is bad. Mm. And so everybody focuses on debt, which you remember was one part of the cash flow equation, but it was only one little part. Well, this attack on debt came about because there are so many people that aren't self-employed and they don't have a way to be able to change the rest of the cash flow equation around all they have is a fixed income that they can't really raise without changing jobs or getting more training or something like that right so they've got a fixed income and then they have their expenses and a part of those expenses are is your debt payment right and so we've always focused on debt because the only way for them to increase their cash flow is to be able to reduce the debt payments. Mm -hmm. So if you have this much cash and your debt's this much, then whatever's left over is the, yes, exactly, is the amount that you have left to spend, right? And so we focus a lot on debt and killing debt, Yeah. right? And we get really upset and focused on things like interest and how much interest you're going to pay over the lifetime of that debt. When, again, the thing that really matters to us is cash flow overall. And as business owners, you have the opportunity to be able to 
increase your revenue or to decrease your cost of goods sold or to be able to decrease or, or change your selling general and admin expenses, right? All to be able to increase your cash flow. And so we focus a lot on that debt and everybody looks to pay off debt as and become debt free as soon as possible. When, if you take your house, for example, if you doubled or tripled your payments over the years and paid it off a lot sooner, that's awesome, right? You, you eliminate that debt payment and you have that much more cash flow. The problem is that between now and when you pay it off, you still have to pay that same monthly payment every month until it's paid off. Yeah. So you're throwing cash flow at it, but you're not buying any cash flow back until clear in the future. Hope you guys caught that. That that right there is a great golden nugget. If you're not using your cash flow to buy more cash flow, it, it's kind of like this idea of how much can I shrink into success? You're like, you can only shrink so far before you're not able to live a, a great life and not having access to cash that really puts you in a precarious position. Ooh, that was, that was fun to say precarious position. I like words. That's fun. <laughs> I but like that. That's great. When, when you don't have access to cash, maybe you're not using lines of credit. You're only doing what the bank taught you. You put your money into a checking account, which only really benefits them. Then you only get to use your money once you pay the mortgage and it stays in the mortgage until you sell it or you get a home equity line of credit and only get a tiny portion of it back. Right. Man. So tell us a little bit more. What are some different strategies that, that you've used to be able to turn this, this mindset around of debt is bad or it's evil. It's, yeah. it's so horrible. It's taking us away to, Oh, that debt is making us money. That's going to be an asset. Help us. understand. Yes. Yeah. And that's uh Robert Kiyosaki. Yes, right? that's that's his big thing is uh, using debt to make you money. And so using that that principle that, that debt can make you money. If you invest cash flow into things like marketing mm. and into things like hiring another crew or outfitting another crew then you can actually increase the amount of income that you have. And say you put $10,000 into marketing. Well, if that turns around and increases your income, your deposits by 50,000, that's a five to one return. Yeah. You're not going to find that in the market, but you'll find that every day in business. Yeah. Did you hear that guys? One of the things I'm getting from this is that if we don't let people know about the value of running your own business, we're we're taking away a lot of the opportunities to control your cash flow. It It's so difficult. When I was first started as a teacher, I thought, oh, all I need to do to, to make uh, $80,000 a year is become a, a PhD. And I, I ran through the numbers. And I was like, wait a second. It's going to cost me almost a hundred grand to do that, yeah. maybe more. And looking at the numbers and you can see your steps. You're like, Oh, that'll take me 20 plus years to get that, that level of income. My money's going to be shrinking because of inflation, the purchase power. And 
I don't have any other potential for increased value. The better you get at teaching, it does not equate equate to more money. But as a business owner, the better you get at your uh, providing your services, the more wonderful products you create, the more op- options you have, and the higher potential for cash flow and revenue. Yeah. And then uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how business owners and the way that the tax situation is set up is so advantageous in comparison to someone that is just a W-2 employee. They're so limited in what tax benefits they they have access to. Yeah. So again, a person that has their own business has the ability to improve their cash flow by focusing on all the steps mm. in the cash flow equation. Someone that has that's a W-2 employee. That's that's wonderful. That route that works great for a lot of people. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But you can't really expand your income. You can't do anything about cost of goods sold because you don't have cost of goods sold. Your hill is going to be a fixed hill, your utilities, your insurance, your grocery bill, all these kind of things are going to be a, basically a fixed amount every month, right? And so again, the only place that they can attack is that debt portion to be mm-hmm. able to shrink that debt portion. That's the only way to increase their cash flow. But if you are a business owner, then you can dive into focusing on how to improve your your income through marketing or how to adjust your pricing so that you're covering all your costs and making a profit. You can also focus on maybe buying in bulk and getting inventory so that you get mm-hmm. lower costs on your cost of goods sold and you can focus on managing your fixed expenses and decreasing your fixed expenses so that you're making as much money as possible from those fixed expenses and so there are a lot of different places that you can jump in and make minor adjustments throughout the whole equation to be able to increase your cash flow. I love that. And what what I I think is really poignant here is as a business owner, you have flexibility to increase your cash flow. As a W2 employee, you have debt reduction and maybe getting another job. Mm-hmm. You're so limited and we don't realize that. That's not what the school system teaches us. We're like, "Oh, you're going to go to school, get good grades so you can go and get a job and Hopefully inflation doesn't crush you yeah. and you and your wife and your kids are going to be contributing to make sure that you can cover your bills. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I, I also wanted to, to ask you where, where we have you right now, how does running your own business in your, in your experience, uh-huh. be able to increase opportunities for, uh, for retirement? Whereas right. a lot of times it's, it's out of your control as a W2 employee. You, you're like, here's the program. You opt into the one or two options that they provide. Yeah. What are the options you've been able to see and how the benefits come from being a business owner? Right. So a good example I would use is my father-in-law. He became a firefighter at a young Mm -hmm. age and he worked for Clark County fire and he worked there for over 30 years down in Las Vegas. 
and he was uh he was an engineer and then he did uh, search and rescue he also did uh he became a captain he was a battalion chief for a, a short period of time and then ended as a as a captain wow. right and when he retired he got a pension and that pension is something that's going to cover him for the rest of his life a lot of baby boomers from back in the day grew up relying on being able to retire with a pension that was really big in the 80s pensions started to disappear and even more so in the 90s and that's why we have a huge crisis right now is because all of these baby boomers were taught that if you go to school you get your job you work somewhere for 30 years you retire with a pension well that rug was kind of pulled out from under them in the in the 80s and and the 90s yeah and all of a sudden they were responsible for their own retirement right and so that same mentality has kind of been passed on to us, but there's no pension anymore. And so instead, we have to rely on like a 401k or that kind of contribution with your, your company and hope that you can max that out and then be able to retire with draws from that 401k throughout the rest of your life mm. right as a business owner you can build up a company and get your systems and processes in place so that you can leave your company you can go sit on a beach somewhere and you can still make money you can be 80 years old and just show up periodically to do fun stuff in your business and still make money. So you can create these engines that then produce money for you throughout your whole life, rather than having to rely on a 401k or your other personal investments. What, what I love about what you just said was when we create these engines, right? You put in a dollar of marketing and pops out $5 or $10. That is inflation proof because if your cost of goods goes up and the market starts to go up, you actually increase your prices slightly so that it matches and you still can, can be in business. Whereas if you sock away enough money, your nest egg, the purchase power, the very last day that you put money in there, that's the richest you will ever be. You start making draws and it diminishes and diminishes and diminishes until they're like, oh, I hope I die soon. You know, yeah. trying to die soon is not probably the best retirement right. path. <laughs> but right. being a business owner, we have this idea of, all right, let's focus on the cash flow. I love your cash flow formula, this cash flow model. It it gives you the control rather than hope being the control of your future. Yeah. So I know we have about... 10 more minutes and I want to leave the last five minutes for questions. Uh -huh. What is one final principle? One thing that you're like, if business owners do this, they will have immediately better results. 
you've you've really consulted with hundreds, if not thousands, of businesses. The the patterns that you recognize, where do they put their money? Like, do they putting it in real estate? Are they buying other businesses? What are they doing to increase the value of their their business? Give us a principle or some patterns of progress that you recognize. Right. So, I think the principle that I would recommend here is honesty. Mm. I love that. The reason that I say that is because you need to be honest in your in your business dealings, right? We interpret that typically as a business owner, we interpret that as you pay your debts. If you have a vendor and you owe them money, you pay them, you pay them as soon as you can and take care of, of that. What we have a problem with as business owners is being honest with ourselves mm. and with our business. If you don't pay yourself, and a lot of business owners out there don't pay themselves, how long are you going to last before you have to close up shop? You're not going to last. Exactly. And so you need to be honest with yourself and with your business as well as with your vendors. Mm. The way that is applied on a business is to pay when you are paid. So if you are invoicing companies and you have accounts at different vendors, then you charge those amounts to the different accounts for the materials to be able to do the job and then as soon as you are paid for that job, then you go pay off those specific invoices that are related to that job. Mm. You don't just blindly pay off outstanding account balances. You pay when you're paid. That's, that's such a great principle. Pay when you're paid. And, and you're penalizing each job basically like, okay, here's my profit. Here's what the expenses were. Now we know exactly how much we have to put towards all these other things. Cause I, yes. I was able to do that, uh, that Parkinson's law thing where like my, my expenses are going to expand if I don't really take out my profit first. Like uh, so good pay when you're paid Pay when you're paid. And that, that is probably besides pricing your products, right? That is probably the, the biggest killer of cash flow mm. is this allegiance to our vendors over ourselves. Yeah, I, I felt that before. I definitely, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I think it's normal to be like, oh, I want to make sure that I keep a good relationship. I'm going to pay them before I pay myself. And then sometimes you're like, I, there's not enough for me. What happened? Shoot. <laughs> and they're like, let's just go get three more jobs. Like you said earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, good. Well, now we have a question from Annie. Uh, if you still have your question, feel free to ask that. Uh, Annie, go ahead and come off mute. And once again, Jeremy, thank you so much for, for sharing these insights because I, I love it. It's wisdom speaking, not just concepts. Like, yeah. <laughs> huge, huge difference. Go yeah. ahead, Annie. Yeah, thank you, Jeremy, for uh, some of that blurb. I, I mean, I co-owned a business out of Chicago for over 10 years. Uh -huh. I definitely get it, right? Uh, and one of the one of the challenges that we had when we did own the business was scaling it. 
right? And this is one of the questions I tend to ask even business owners, especially when we're thinking small, because like, oh, this is all I can do right now. Let me do this and then and then figure out as I go along. But we have to be intentional about, okay, what are we going to do 10 years from now? Am I still going to be busting my chops, you know, picking up? Because we had, we would buy and resale high-end furniture and that's very physical work. You know, I, I did the technology work on the back end, but my husband, now my ex-husband, did the physical labor and the meeting clients and, and going to the homes and doing the bidding and right and the selling part. So he was the front guy. I was the back girl in the back yeah. office. You know what I mean? I uh -huh. mean, it was a family-owned business. And you know what? After 20 years, he finally said he's going to close his doors. It's like because he couldn't scale, right? So now he's just doing it by appointment only as opposed to having a storefront you know with the with the covid happening a lot of things i think changed oh, right yeah. and he's tried to stay afloat and so that's that's really very very important um and yesterday i was at a meeting here in new mexico online where the person was doing digital photography so one of the questions i asked her is i said how are you going to scale this business so that you're not you're not 125% active in it and you're kind of sitting back and, you know, reaping your laurels from your, from your hard effort, right. right? And it became like they were very territorial. It's like, well, you really can't do this because competition. There was a more reason not to do it than than to do it. You know what I mean? I said, mm -hmm. why, don't you, why don't you think about franchising it? You know, I just sort of kind of came up with some ideas. So those are the things when you scale. And I think that's what I like about real estate is that we can scale this business to whatever we want it to be that fits our lifestyle, which yeah. to me is freedom in and of itself, right? I mean, I'm right now, I don't have a hundred doors. I don't have a thousand doors, but I'm house hacking. You know what? That's bringing in passive income for me. You know what I mean? That's so terrific. I may be only doing one room at a time, but I can rent one room for 1200 bucks in New Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Right? So Annie, if I can understand what your question is, is it what are patterns that you've recognized and how to scale businesses. Is that what your question is? Well, and that was sort of the thing, you know, when scaling the business, because when we start out small, sometimes we stay in mm. the trenches and not and end yeah. up not thinking outside the box. You know what I mean? So okay, that was let me read things. between the lines. Is it, um, how do you not work just in your business, but you can work on your business so that you can scale? Go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah, so that is a fantastic question. And it takes cash to be able to grow, to be able to scale. And so again, if we go back to the cash flow equation with, with scaling, when you are growing your business, you need more infrastructure. And that infrastructure is that selling general and admin, which means you're going to increase the size of that hill. Right. If you increase the size of that hill, it takes a longer time to get to profits. Mm. And that's what ends up killing people is that they're using all their cash flow still to try and pay off debt or to do other things like that. And they aren't putting the money toward that increasing that hill and covering that hill and, and growing that hill. Because when you think about it, if you hire a new person, if that new person is part of your labor force, 
you're going to charge for every hour that that person works. Yeah. So as long as you can bring in, um, bring in enough business to be able to keep that person busy, then you're going to be making money by hiring a new person, right? As opposed to hiring somebody else in the office because you're overwhelmed and there's too many things to work on. When you hire that person in the office, all that does is increase your, your fist, fixed expenses. You don't make more money doing that. And so the idea is to be able to figure out at what point you can increase your selling general and admin expenses to be able to continue to scale up. I love that. One of the things I thought you 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 brought up that is essential for brand new people, you said infrastructure. You said it in one word, but literally, if you don't have your standard operating procedures down, yeah. you're, you are the standard operating procedures. If you don't yeah. have those, those if-then statements, hey, if this happens, do this. If this happens, do this then we miss that. If you go to Eric, uh, Eric counts class, the automation class in the profits section, he delineates exactly what you need to do to make sure that you have a standard operating procedure. That's actually duplicatable. Cause if you don't have one, you don't really have a business system. You have a U system. <laughs> so I, I love that. And then, uh, we had another question from Gilbert and Guys, I apologize. We only have like four more minutes. So I want to make sure your questions are clear and short. So let's do uh, this question. Gilbert, go ahead. I really like that he brought up the electrical contractor and, and some of the issues that he that he brought were exactly what uh, me and my partners were doing is that uh, we weren't we weren't originally I was I would go bid a job. And most of the time I would underbid it because I was just trying to get the job and have the relationship and concentrate on building the relationship with individuals. And then when I would bill it out, I would just bill them at the at the cost of my uh, material. Right. As an electrical contractor, the time for me to go get materials, uh, the time that I spent getting them, the price of it, and then having to go get additional materials afterwards and not doing any markup on that was basically, you know, I was just barely getting by. We were making money because it was a good job. But we learned uh, really fast that we needed to mark up our material, right, in order to cover some of those costs. Uh, and I also get where the relationships, like the third-party vendor list, like I have a couple contracts that, that I have that I'm hoping are going to come to fruition and we're doing work on them. But the net 30, net 60, and dealing with corporations that don't pay their invoices on time uh, is dragging us down, right? So we have money that's that's owed on invoices but we don't have a lot of jobs where we're making cash money like, you know, that's coming in on a regular basis because we're waiting for past invoices. Uh, I don't know if we need to go get a loan and and invest more into that so we can carry our carrying costs until those come through. Uh, so it's just really frustrating. Not, I, I still have hope and determination and I go out there and I build relationships every day and I do as much as I can to do that, but I also value the relationships themselves because I know that they can be uh, come to fruition and, and be a really good thing in the future. Uh, 
So it's just all really new to me, right? You know, so Gilbert, and, and is it okay if I I consolidate your question? Yes, sir. Uh, That's why we love 30 you. Thirty seconds or less, Jeremy. Tell me, how do you help people learn how to price their products correctly? So the the biggest thing with pricing products is to bid a process, not items. Ooh, don't that's bid, awesome. don't bid per square foot. Don't bid per per outlet. Don't bid per uh, square uh, cubic yard or, or whatever the case may be. Don't bid per item. Bid a process. Right. That's that's so valuable. Bid the process. That's what I do in my short-term rental business. It's not just, oh, you're only going to be here one day. So, so you don't have to pay for cleaning. You don't have to pay for all these other elements. You're like, right. no, you only stay one day. I actually make the most money, which is great. Yeah. How do people find you online? How do we stay in contact? Because I mean, we you provide a ton of great value. And thank you so much for being on today, Jeremy. You bet. So the best way to find me and my contact information is to go to my website, which is foundationacs.com. The ACS stands for Accounting Consulting Services. So foundationacs.com. Perfect. And I put that in. Well, thank you so much.